Cats Chapter 5 Wilde is in his office staring out the window at northern lights that paint the sky every color of blue and green. He addresses his speakerphone. Our systems are fully functional. Power is being generated from the Earth's electrical field as promised. Your report says there's a net energy loss. In our recent tests we've been producing just over unity. I find that very hard to believe. In fact I would have to see it to believe it. Of course. I am happy to arrange a short demonstration. But I should warn you that we do have a problem with overheating that we are working to track down. Doctor, you are more than three years late delivering on a half billion dollar project, and you've made almost no measurable progress in the last 18 months. Why should we believe you're anything but a fraud? By the end of the year I guarantee we'll meet all the contract requirements. Sitting in a small greasy spoon diner at a truck stop 50 miles from what used to be Eddie's lab, Paige, Oscar and Richard look dirty, tired, and morose. Milk and pie remains litter a table illuminated by a candle and blue light coming through a picture window. A waitress in a 50s-style pink and white uniform approaches. Can I get you anything else? Some ice cream? Since the lights went out it's only a dollar. I think we're good. What's the damage? The waitress eyes a table. I'd say 25. Richard offers her four tins. Keep the change. The waitress moves away. What the hell just happened? I turned the harvester on and it picked up where it left off. When it's not ripping apart the world, what does Eddie's machine do? It makes power. You mean it collects power? So you aren't sure either? Are we absolutely certain it's not a bomb? Eddie would never make a bomb. That's a harvester. It is supposed to harvest the ambient electricity generated by the Earth's magnetic field. When Paige looks no happier, Richard continues. Okay. Here is the world's quickest course in electric generators. To make electricity you spin magnets around a conductor. A turbine in a dam is just a water wheel that pushes magnets around and around a copper wire. That produces the kind of electricity that turns your lights on. The earth has a conductive molten iron core. The mantle of the earth spins around it at a thousand miles an hour. So the earth generates lots of electricity all the time. That machine tries to harvest it. The earth produces electricity? Where do you think lightning comes from? Well, then Eddie's machine sounds pretty useful. It would be, if it worked. Which it never will. I think it does work. Eddie explained it to me. He said that machine works like a tuning fork. You use a small amount of electricity to make it generate a magnetic field that's in resonance with the planet. Once it is in resonance, it starts collecting power very quickly. There's no off switch except to discharge the energy in a spark or siphon the power off to a battery or capacitor. It flies apart if it can't discharge. That's what happened back there. There was nowhere for the power to go except to the pylon. Sounds like Eddie rebuilt exactly the machine that killed Dad. Maybe. Perhaps your dad and the other guys got the tuning right, and the energy had nowhere to go. When it blew up they had no containment so they were killed. All this misery for just another generator? A brand new power source. If that machine worked, it would generate unlimited power whenever and wherever you want it. That's worth killing for? You could operate one in downtown Manhattan and run the city forever. You could operate it in the middle of the Gobi Desert to pump clean water in. It's clean infinite power anywhere it needs to be. No more oil, no more fracking. Kind of a shame they always blow up. They climb back in the truck, Paige in the center, and Oscar starts the car. He pulls out on the main highway and starts driving into the sun. Where to now? I need to get home. I have a magazine assignment due Monday. Oscar looks at her, then at Richard. Paige, our car was next to the shack. They know we were there. That guy who attacked me. He knows we made it out. If we go home, they'll arrest us. Shouldn't we just turn ourselves in? Maybe the police can help us. The government thinks Eddie is a domestic terrorist. I think if we turn ourselves in it will be a very long time before they let us go. We need to know what Eddie was working on most recently. We can use that as a bargaining chip. 
I just have no way of finding that out. Oscar, driving, settles back in his seat and smiles. This is the one weekend I hear when I can find someone who may be able to tell you exactly what Eddie was doing. He pulls onto the highway and follows a sign to Las Vegas. Page, Oscar and Richard ride up the escalator under signs that indicate they're at the International Weird Science Expo. At the top of the escalator a flurry of freaks and wackos, some in costume, some carrying boxes of junk, stand in line to get in. Lining the floor of the lobby there are 20 or 30 narrow booths and tables covered in equipment, books, CDs, DVDs, working UFO toys being guided over the crowd by teenagers, some other devices which appear to levitate and a set of teens actively recruiting people for Starfleet and the Jedi Council. As our trio pass the table's attendees talk. Don't forget the Madrid incident. That could have been a manufactured mirage. I think Chicago is more convincing. The new CIA program doesn't work like that. It tracks everyone all the time. Chemtrails. I have told you a hundred times. It's a weather control thing not a poison the people thing. Oscar waves at person after person as they navigate past the booths. At one point he stops to chat with a heavyset bearded man standing next to an open space where an engine block is being dropped. Over and over again into a pile of sand. Hey Belcher. Hey Oscar. Who are your friends? Belcher eyes Paige. David and Betty. Don't you owe me some money for that gig in July? Belcher reaches out and grabs a four-inch sack of flexible magnets wrapped in plastic. Each is about twice the size of a quarter. Want some magnets? You're paying in magnets these days? Oscar grabs a second box. Hey, those are 40 bucks each. Oscar responds as they walk away. Since you owe me two grand, take it off your bill. As they continue to walk, Paige catches up to Oscar. What are those? Super magnets. Very handy. Two can lift 400 pounds. They pass a stack of long thick laser pointers the size of flashlights. Seven watts is written on the side along with a warning label. Oscar tosses them each one and waves at the table owner who waves back. I just love the stuff at this show. Paige presses a button on her laser pointer and Oscar pushes her hand down. Don't. Finally. In a far corner of lobby, under a second set of escalators leading up to the second floor of the convention center, they find Janet. Late thirties, stringy just water blonde hair, slender, and with a sharp fierce face. Oscar stops some distance away and turns to Richard. There's Janet. She and Eddie had a thing until early this year. If anyone knows what he was up to, it's her. Richard takes the lead as they approach. Janet is talking to a fifteen-year-old boy. I don't think solar flares have anything to do with it, Sean. I sent you the specs in the drawings. You saw the design. It's perfect. We aren't talking about the design. You wanted Botchik voice encryption. I wanted a phone that worked. It does work. I just used it yesterday. Well, get it working again and bring it back. I'll be here all day. The boy goes off muttering. Janet turns to look at Oscar with wide hopeful eyes. Have you seen Eddie? He's not returning my calls. I'm so sorry. Richard walks around the table and extends his hand. I'm Richard. Eddie was my brother. Janet's eyes leap to his. What do you mean was? No one responds. Janet looks for a moment as if she might cry. Then she draws a deep breath, straightens up, and starts moving things around her shop. She sweeps a bunch of her phones into a box, pours out some cheap Wi-Fi hotspot devices. Then she drops into her chair again, arms crossed, shaking. She is clearly fighting her desire to weep. He was so stupid, he just wouldn't listen. I warned him a thousand times. Was someone threatening him? Janet looks at Richard. What makes you think I would say anything to you? Never sent a letter or made a phone call. Not once in ten years. Not even an email. We fought because I warned him that what he was doing was dangerous. You said his work would kill him. Maybe it did. 
There's no telling who he had to work for because he needed money and he needed help. You were his brother and you could have given him both. I lost my father to that machine. If you had helped him then things would have been different. Yes. We would both be dead. Janin stands up again, moves to her cash box, pulls out the cash and starts to count it. Fine. You told me he's gone. You can go. I need to know what he was working on. Janet turns to look at him. Why? Because the people that killed him are after us and we need something to bargain with. So you're going to hand over what he died to protect? Richard looks at Oscar and Paige. Would it be better if we all died? He looks at Janet again. Will you help us? Janet shakes her head. No. Janet. I don't know what he was working on. He never told me. I can probably tell you who killed him, but you won't like it. Last year, some men from up north made Daddy an offer he couldn't refuse. What are you talking about? A huge signing bonus, millions a year, his own research lab, a hand-picked team in return for all his work. Who made the offer? Some company. Arcanet, or Parnak. I don't remember. Doesn't matter really. The global elite. The G-men. Many names for one face. The folks who think they own the world we live on. Richard studies her. Do not pretend you do not know who I'm talking about. I know what you do. The investments you make. Eddie was proud of you. Proud of your work even if he had a better way. Well the folks who write your paycheck, they killed your brother. You don't know anything about the people I work for. How many people on this planet make the kind of money you spend? You work for a private consortium of investors. Maybe a thousand of a percent of the planet make that much money. Well those folks who wanted to hire Eddie, they were military contractors, very well funded. Same class. Same Ivy League schools, same country clubs. You're insane. So, get your answers somewhere else if you are so smart. Oscar knows your brother kept his work online. In the cloud they call it these days. He could get it from everywhere, from anywhere. He put it in multiple places so it absolutely could not be lost, could not be destroyed. It was protected so it could not be stolen. You're a genius. You find it. Janet looks at Oscar. I said goodbye to Eddie a year ago. I never need to see you or these people ever again. Richard studies her for a long moment. You loved Eddie very much and I'm sure he loved you. I'm very sorry he and I put you at risk. Richard moves away from the table and Paige follows, rushing to take his hand. It's not his fault Eddie is dead, Janet. That was Eddie's doing. I know. She closes her eyes and the tears start. But Eddie loved him so much. He used to talk about him all the time. So, if you love Eddie you'll want to protect Richard. Janet sits down. Wipes tears away with the back of her hand. She reaches down, picks up a fully charged cell phone and tosses it to Oscar. It's untraceable, scrambled. If you can think of anyone to call, call them. Or dial nine zeros you'll get to me. I won't be much help, but you never know. I wish I could have helped Teddy. I'd give anything to have him back. Slowly she stands, reaches into a box, pulls out three exhibitor passes to the convention. These should get you into Seed Wayne. If anyone has answers, he does. Thanks, Janet. Oscar gives her a bear hug and then leaves her standing alone on her table. Oscar joins Richard and Paige near the entrance to the exhibition hall. Without a word, he hands them the exhibitor passes. Together they walk past the convention hall guards. Oscar, Richard and Paige walk through the exhibition hall which is filled with people demonstrating science toys and tools, cool high-tech gadgets, and selling books to an audience of geeks and science fiction fans. Oscar leads Richard and Paige into the UFO Factor Fiction Seminar. There are several hundred people in the theater. Dwayne, 50 plus, heavyset, dressed in a Hawaiian shirt and khaki shorts, is on stage addressing an audience member. 
Oscar and Richard speak while the dialogue between audience and stage continues. At last year's conference, Dwayne told me he was working with Eddie. I don't know how long it lasted, but I figured you could ask him some questions. I don't know how you can say Area 51 isn't proof of alien life. 51 was a weapons lab. That's all. It was a crash site. A plasma explosion. The government lost control of an experiment. What about the alien bodies? Manufactured props. Don't be so gullible. Let's all have a round of applause for our great speaker. The crowd begins to clap. Several people rise to give Wayne a standing ovation. Ignoring them, Wayne picks up a heavy black doctor's bag and walks to the edge of the stage. As he walks off, three speakers walk on. One carries a cardboard alien. Everyone, listen up. Please clear the room if you do not have tickets to the international SETI panel. We'll be starting in just four minutes. Paige, Oscar, and Richard proceed to the end of the stage and meet Dwayne just as he steps down. He has some kind of injury involving both ankles, so he lumbers a bit. He sees Oscar, but pretends not to, as he turns to follow the side of the stage to a service entrance. Hey, Dwayne. Do you have a minute? Dwayne continues walking fast but Oscar catches up to him. Hey Oscar, are you still souping up the carnival rides? I should be so lucky. I am seasonally unemployed. They walk out the service entrance door. Richard and Paige follow. Dwayne looking grimmer by the minute, continues walking. Who are your little pals? Richard takes a few quick steps to catch up to the fast waddling man. Do you have a minute to talk? Somewhere private? Who's asking? Eddie's brother. Dwayne looks at Richard up and down. Eddie's dead and I don't want you within a hundred miles of me. Give me two minutes. I've got nothing to tell you. I stopped working with that crazy loon six months ago. Everything he did blew up. Richard puts a hand on Dwayne's shoulder to stop him. Dwayne knocks it off. We both know Eddie so we both know that's not true. Stay away from me. Dwayne turns and starts walking again. Richard calls out. If we get picked up I'll give them your name. Dwayne stops, turns around, looks at Oscar, Paige then Richard. He glances up at a security camera. I'd rather spend two minutes with plutonium than with you. You have exactly 60 seconds. My brother was working on something. I think you know what it was. Now he's dead and someone thinks I have it. If I did, I could cut some kind of deal. So you want to hand over what he died for? Richard gestures at Paige. She didn't sign up to save the world with free energy. Neither did I. We were drafted and suddenly we're on the front lines of a war for a technology we neither understand nor believe in. Maybe it's time you started believing. Eddie was pretty smart and the guys who killed him thought he had something. It's a potent dream. We see lightning in the sky and think why can't we draw it down? I've no doubt Eddie believed. Or that he could convince others to believe. But if his technology worked why not just make it freely available? What's with all the cloak and dagger? Dwayne cocks his head to one side, stares at Richard for a long moment. Exactly what Eddie said. What? Look, I haven't worked with Eddie for months. Some goons came by and said he was starting up some kind of new lab for the military. They wanted me on board. I said no and it took me a couple of months to convince them I was technically inept and a gibbering idiot before they left me alone. When I heard Eddie was dead I hit the road. New phone, new card, living on cash. I wouldn't even let them put me on the program here because I didn't want that out on the net. I've been a surprise guest all day. What was Eddie working on? What he's always worked on of course. Harvester technology. And I think you are out of luck. If Eddie had something, you'll never find it. He was brilliant. I'm told he kept everything online. It's a huge internet. Last I heard he could put something on the net on one server and it would be transferred overnight to others, sometimes a million packets at a time. Pieces of it would be on this university computer, on that corporate computer, on an overseas bank server. He scattered and backed up his body of work across the internet, entirely encrypted, moving it hour after hour, day after day. Then how did Eddie find it? 
He knew what to look for and where to look, you know. I hope you don't sell your brother out. He was a good guy and he died for something. Dwayne looks at each of them one by one. It's a hungry world, and a thirsty world, and a little power in a lot of hands would make a huge difference. That's the last thing he told me. Dwayne shrugs. Well, goodbye. I hope I never see any of you again. Dwayne continues his journey down the hall. Wilde is looking out his window and down at his shop floor where a dozen large vaguely ant-shaped creatures tower over men walking below them. From here it's clear to see this as a harvester farm based on Eddie's design. Wilde has his cell phone pressed to his ear. Why did it take you so long to find them? Colonel White is on his cell phone. He's standing where Janet's booth used to be. It's been cleaned out. Just empty boxes and tape remain. The power was out in four states which meant there was no cell service. We couldn't track his phone or the girls until they hit a hot zone. They only hit the network two hours ago and we've already tracked them here. So pick them up. We have alerted the local police and convention security and I'm doing a sweep now. A beep interrupts them. I need them back here immediately. Stop screwing around. Wilde presses a button. Yes. Doctor, General Tyson has indicated he and General Birch will be arriving tomorrow at 2. Oscar leads Richard and Paige down a set of escalators past a sign that says Internet Lounge. Down in the basement there are ten long tables, each supporting a dozen workstations and people who have plugged in their own laptops. Behind the tables are gaming kiosks that reach from floor to ceiling and sport chairs for gamers to sit in as they play. Behind that is a curtained area for exhibitors. The room is filled to overflowing and people are standing, sitting, and talking everywhere. Richard takes a seat at a workstation at a table as far as possible from the front door. I don't know where to begin to look for whatever Eddie was hiding. Do you know anything at all, Oscar? Eddie used to log me in. He'd search for something online, then click on it, and play some kind of video game. Then we'd be in. Why didn't you mention that sooner? I didn't think it mattered. Eddie did lots of strange things. He had to be searching for something unique. Richard begins to type. Over his shoulder we see the flash of a search engine, then links to Eddie Maxwell. Some of the page titles are Eddie Maxwell Free Energy Lecture at Radigan. Eddie Maxwell Lectures on Energy Independence in the New Millennia. Eddie Maxwell. Energy for Every Man. Richard clicks on links and sees pictures of Eddie Lecturing. He looks passionate, driven, happy. I guess it's too much to hope that it would be called something like Eddie Maxwell Secret Data. You never know. We used to tell Eddie he should go completely underground. Change his name, have surgery to alter his appearance. But he said it was easier to hide in plain sight. Who was he hiding from? Our government? Other governments? Criminals? Is there a difference? Richard looks up at Oscar as if he is insane. Sorry. Richard looks back at the screen, continues to click through links, glances at pictures. It will be something completely obvious that I'll kick myself for not knowing right away. Eddie's work was always like that. Richard reaches into his pocket, pulls out the scorpion cube, sets it on the table. Wake up. In a second the creature has unfolded itself. Will you look at that? Richard speaks to the scorpion. Password. Nothing happens. Can it talk? Richard looks at Oscar then back at the bug. Talk. Nothing happens. It has to be the key somehow. Does it have an adapter? Can you plug it into the computer? Richard picks the device up, turns it over. He studies it closely as its legs wriggle, then puts it down. It's staring me straight in the face. Jesus Eddie, what are you trying to say? From outside the curtained enclosure, there's a sudden collective silence punctuated only by video games that continue to play as their operators stop moving. Richard looks over his monitor. Colonel White and a cadre of chinmen in black have entered the room. Armed with semi-automatics, they move people away from the door. Richard drops to the floor. Oscar and Paige, seeing the move instinctively drop as well. Richard grabs the scorpion and moves under the table. Paige and Oscar follow him. 
Together they listen. Please remain calm. This is a homeland security operation. We are seeking fugitives. Richard looks at the scorpion. Sleep. The scorpion folds up. Richard hands it to Oscar, who drops it, shaking his hand as if it has been bitten. His surprise is evident. It choked me. It does that. Isn't it annoying? Colonel White and his men are walking through the room, looking at every face. Under the table Richard snatches up the cube and stuffs it in his pocket. He looks at Paige and Oscar. You two get out of here. How? What about you? They only want me. They'll let you walk out. I don't think so. No. Colonel White looks at one of the tables, then uses his foot to stir the curtain. Whatever they want, they killed Eddie for. I don't want them to have it. I don't want them to have you either. Richard looks at Oscar. I'm going to create a distraction. You know the layout of this place. Get her out of here. I said no. Paige, once they have you, the negotiation's over. They win. You are the ball game for me. Oscar pulls the black cell phone out of his pocket. He dials a number. We need help getting out of Fort Knox. What are you doing? Hopefully getting us all out of this. Oscar speaks to the phone. Okay. Exhibitor loading docking 5. He hangs up the phone, hands it to Richard. Dial 99s to find me. Paige leans over to take Richard's hand. She opens her mouth to speak. Richard holds up his hand for silence. There's a black boot just outside the curtain. Richard pulls the laser Oscar gave him earlier out of his pocket. He moves the table curtain aside and points it outside. A hot white laser light appears on a curtain just past one of the men in black. In a few seconds, the curtain catches fire. Richard redirects the laser light to another curtain close to the front door of the room. It catches fire as well. Suddenly people all over the room are shrieking. Remain where you are. Oscar and Paige start crawling under the tables toward the exit. Richard crawls the opposite direction. The sprinklers come on. Richard reaches a wall and starts moving along it. Richard moves some boxes, finds a power outlet, aims the laser inside. The lights cut out. Colonel White, standing near the door of the room, watches the panicking people shoving one another to get out. Looking around the room, he stops guarding the door through which people are running, and starts overturning tables. His men follow suit. Richard walks outside the convention center, the black phone pressed to his ear. Oscar? Hilton parking lot, across the street. I'll find you. Richard looks around, sees the Hilton sign and begins walking toward it. Circuit by Nancy Fulton. Story and voice copyright 2020 by Nancy Fulton. All rights reserved. Produced by AudioIron.com.